Matthew chapter 5. I woke up this morning with less voice than I normally have, and I'm sorry. Sometimes that makes for a short sermon. We were just discussing that today. There's no bad short sermons. All the bad ones are long ones. Yeah. <laughs> and we're actually kind of embarking on a two-part sermon. We'll get to the text here in just a moment. Begin with just one verse. That'll be in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. Don't stand yet for that. And then tonight we'll move over and make a connection in Genesis, a few more verses. And something I didn't see for years but really helped me with a text we have in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13 to see it lived out in a very special way. And hopefully that will be a help to all of us. But Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is referred to as a Sermon on the Mount. And before we again read it, if you turn back probably one page in your Bible and not losing your spot, you'll notice the beginning of chapter 5 and verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, I just want you to know why we call it the Sermon on the Mount. Because Christ was on the Mount and they came. So if you could just stand now, we'll read our verse for today. Only verse 13. Verse 13 says, Ye are the salt of the earth. Boy, conjunctions get in the way. I'm not really into grammar all that much, but I understand some of it. And this one has caused me a lot of trouble, that one word. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. These are hard words. But they're good words, yes, instructive words for our benefit. Yes. Father, thank you for each one who is here. What a good crowd we have today. Yeah. I thank you so much for the congregational singing. Music's always meant so much to me, even though I'm not a musician. And even as little boys, I mentioned earlier, those gospel quartets had a lot to do with my life early on. And I pray, Lord, that you would illumine our hearts and our minds to understand Bible truth. But really, when we do understand it, it should be obvious to us that it's incumbent on us to use that in our life because it's instructive from you and it's good for us to be involved in. So I pray that you'd have your perfect way during the service this morning and that each one here would give ear to the Word of God, not to me, uh, but to the Word of God. And then, Lord, as we learn this great truth from this Bible and what adjoins to it, that maybe at the close of the service, an invitation is given Maybe that'd be good for us to come and talk to you about the verse and how it applies to our life and how we've exercised it. But you have your perfect way 
And whatever can be accomplished will give you all the glory and all the praise because you alone are worthy. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It was William Barclay that said, the Sermon on the Mount is to the New Testament what the Ten Commandments are to the Old Testament. Now, what would the Old Testament be like without the Ten Commandments? What would society to a great degree be like if it were not for the Ten Commandments? They've been scattered across the globe many times. And I think Barclay bringing to our attention that the Sermon on the Mount for the New Testament has as much truth and is as important as the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. G. Kimmel Morgan, one of my favorite commentators, said the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx tells us what a, Christ, uh, what a communist should be and what a communist should do. But the Sermon on the Mount is the Christian Manifesto and details what a Christian should be and what a Christian should do. Amen. Have you ever thought about what you should do as a Christian? Uh, I know that there's a lot in the Bible and I'm not going to suppose that I could uh, be faithful and accomplish all of it the way it ought to be done, but I want to do as much as I possibly can. But this is a fairly small statement right here that we could really use. Commentators say that Matthew chapter 5, verses 13, and I'm going down to 16, but it's two different thoughts here. It's concerning salt and light are the two most direct metaphors in all the word of God. Now understand metaphors, similes, hyperboles. You know, with a simile, you could say that man is like a bear. He's just that kind of person. But if it's really the way he is and it becomes a metaphor, you don't say he's like a bear. He is a bear. And so it helps you to understand just a little bit more. Hyperboles, you know, it's hyper and ballo. It's kind of like when you play ball and you don't want the guy to catch it, so you intentionally overthrow it to make him look bad. Well, that's a hyperbole. You can use that, I suppose. <laughs> don't know that the Lord would honor it. I'm just saying this verse is chock full. There's a lot here. If you've not read commentators on it, I would encourage you to do that. So a number of years ago, my wife and I had an interesting experience on a Sunday morning. So I pastored Eastland Baptist Church for 30 years and then Brother Troy Durrell took the church, took the reins and sometime after that, I don't remember, maybe a year or two, may have been longer, but I think a year or two, uh, my wife said, you know, we're not obligated this Sunday to preach out someplace. Tulsa's about 75 miles, I guess, from Stillwater, Oklahoma, where our son pastors, where Brother Jet and his wife and family were for a good number of years. So why don't we drive over there and um, hear our son preach? And I said, and see our grandkids? (laughs) Wipe the smile off your face, Emily, and then (laughs) Samuel. (laughs) And uh, so we decided to do that. So I said, we're going to have breakfast at home or we're going to get breakfast. She said, well, let's get breakfast someplace else. And I had a vision in my mind of Cracker Barrel bacon and sausage and eggs, just grease all over the place. Good cup of coffee. My wife wants to go to Panera. 
I said, honey, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> Instead of bacon and eggs and all those kind of things, what are we going to eat, a bagel? <laughs> she said, bagels maketh me happy. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, she went out. And I found out later that the Lord was in it. <laughs> so we went to Panera. We dressed to go to church. We leave early enough to leave from there in Tulsa, from Panera, and then be in Stillwater in time. And we're sitting at a little table, just the two of us, just two chairs. We're there minding our own business. And I was doing the best I could to smile while I was eating the bagel. <laughs> a man comes up to our table and just stands there and looks at us for a little bit. So I looked up at him and he looked at me. Now I'd never seen this man before in my life. And then he asked me a question. He said, what's wrong with churches today? Now those were his exact words, Pastor. Now he was not dressed in a suit. You don't have to be in a suit to come to church. But he probably was looking at us thinking those people are probably going to church. Those kind of look like church clothes. Maybe that's it. But I've never met this man and so he said, what's wrong with churches? He didn't just say what's wrong with churches. He says, what is wrong with churches today? And I think he was serious. Well, I really wasn't ready for a pop quiz. <laughs> I just wanted to have my coffee and my meal and be on the road. And I said, well, I, I think maybe that is because today they're economically driven instead of theologically driven. Now, I'm sure you know you're aware of that. It, to be economically driven is in primary motivation is finances. And you do need finances to operate a church. Maybe they should give us free electricity at churches, but they don't. Or nothing else like that really comes free either. But it is also true that some churches are not very close to the Bible theologically because they might offend somebody that might give money. And so really that's not the way it ought to work. The way it ought to work is God's people give what God directs them to give and it'll take care of the need. So I said, I think the reason is is that they're economically driven or not theologically driven. He said, yeah. And he walked out. That's weird. It gets weirder yet. Three months later, I was in Temecula, California. Calvary Baptist Church, Brother Bill Ranch. It was going to be a Thursday. We had the Wednesday night service. It's Thursday morning, and my wife, of course, wants to go check out the mall. Since Sears left, I can't imagine a man ever needing to go to the mall for anything <laughs> if they don't have any tools. <laughs> she said, you want to go with me? And I said, no. <laughs> but she said, will you go with me? And I said, is there a coffee shop there? <laughs> she said, Yes. And so I went. Now, I'm not in a suit. I'm just wearing leisure clothes. And I had a book I was reading, and it was not the Bible. It was, it was a good book, and it was a theological book to a degree, but not, no one would be able to tell that. And, of course, there's my Bible right there, and a man came by the table, and she wasn't with me this time. And I think, Pastor, it was almost verbatim. With no Bible and no church clothes. What's wrong with churches today? Now, I'm never going to forget that. You say, how many more times did it happen? No, that's it. That's enough. I spooked already, you know. <laughs> and I thought about that so much. 
And then I thought about churches today. About the time I got saved, which was at 14 years of age, and then some years before that, my, my mom and dad, I mean, I went to church for nine months before I was born. Because <laughs> my mama went. <laughs> And I remember those churches that I went with them to, and it wasn't a Baptist church. I learned quite a bit about the Bible, but I never got saved there until I, later on when I was 14. But we'd go to these churches, and most of them would run 30. And 14 years of age, someone invited me to an independent Baptist church, and I'd never been to a Baptist church of any kind. And I went, and I was there that Sunday morning, and there was a little white-haired Irishman about like, well, he's about like that either, <laughs> either way you looked at him, you know. And he started preaching and his face got red and the blood veins, blood veins jumped out, you know, and so forth. And, and I was looking for a seatbelt and they didn't even have seatbelts back then. I'd never seen anything like that. I said, I don't know if what he's saying is true, but he's acting like it. <laughs> Came back that night and uh, he did it again. And the next Sunday morning, Sunday night, and I trusted Christ as my personal savior that next Sunday. It's good stuff. It lasts forever. I'll never forget it. I remember that night I, I was so under conviction and his grandson sung the song, Now I Belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for years of time alone, but for all eternity. And every time he sung it, Pastor, my little heart said, I don't. I didn't belong. And you know, the reason I hadn't done it quicker probably had never been clear to me like it was. One thing about, you may not like about an independent Baptist church, you, you, may not like, you won't have any trouble understanding it. And that's what we need. It's a clear presentation, you know, of God's word. And then after I got saved, of course, in the Navy and around to other churches. But back in those days, it was amazing what a great and conservative country that we had. Now I remember my mom would turn the radio on. Any of y'all old enough though, you had to kind of tune them in. And I kind of messed around. Are you sure you're that old? I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> you know, just, that's going to take place. Well, there was a place called Del Rio, Texas. And any Texans around here? I mean, back in those days, you know, uh, they wanted, you know, they didn't have all the ordinances they have now, but the tower for Del Rio, Texas was on the Mexican side. And they'd burn your antenna off for 500 miles nearly with that thing. And we would get that music all over the place. And I thought about what good music we had and, and then how many people probably were influenced and so forth by that. But then I think, you know, and I was talking about being economically driven, how things are going today, that we have churches today that you couldn't, you couldn't put all our people on your total piece of ground right out here. We're talking thousands. Not unusual for churches, one, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand. And if you've noticed, I've, only, I've got a small head. It's six and seven eighths, about the size of a six-year-old boy, so don't <laughs> expect a lot from me. But I can't help but thinking like this. If churches today are so much more affluent, if they're so much bigger, if they have so much more ability in that way, then why aren't things in America better? How come our country is, is almost like it's going to go down the tubes and hardly anyone knows how to lead anything? If you find someone that can lead, they want to lock him up. Yeah, true. Whatever the case, and I'm not saying that Mr. Trump is a perfect angel by any means. Mm -hmm. 
Of course, none of us are. I'm just saying, God's been good to us, make sure we had buildings and property and everything else, but it doesn't seem like it's really been used for everything it should be used for. Let me read to you from Encyclopedia Britannica under the heading, The Place of Baptist in American Life. I want you to know what it used to be. I want you to pay attention to these. They're not my words. It came out of Britannica. Quote, The true significance of a people is determined not so much by their number, but as by their influence on the society of which they are a part. Influence. It further states, the disciplinary functions of local congregations on the frontier contributed immeasurably. That's a good word, isn't it? Have you ever thought about the word immeasurably? And we're talking about little churches on the frontier that contributed immeasurably. You could hardly even grasp how much good they did and how they affected things. To the moral quality of growing communities, that last sentence is so good, the ideal of holy living, which was kept before church members exerted a tempering influence upon standards of ethical conduct in American business and American politics, how much influence do we have now? on American business and politics. Well, it's because it's cause of us. They were not as close to God, probably, as so many of those who are before us. I think God, we just talked about it in Sunday school, America. How could America be the world's greatest nation when it's a baby. Do you still think about America as a baby? You're reading your Bible and reading about countries like Ethiopia and Egypt as thousands of years old. Have you ever wondered why they're not the superpower? I know it hurts to think, but do it every now and then. The reason is God didn't put them in the place and you take a place like America, farmers and ranchers and some people with other kind of business and all those kind of things. You know, God honored America because if you look back there, <laughs> they put God first. Yes. I'm sorry if it makes you unhappy, but all the stores weren't open so you could spend all your time shopping. Yeah. Not on Sunday. It's only one day out of seven that's the Lord's day. Yes, yeah. And so many things that I look back, and that was so, so special. I think I mentioned to the Sunday school class this morning, of course, I was a military and I spent my time on submarines, but I had the chance to ride an aircraft carrier uh, from uh, over in Ho no, yeah, Hawaii area, and then we're going to fly back over to San Diego some of the pilots were going to fly, but I got to ride the USS Ranger, which I think maybe did that film, the Top Gun on it or something like that. I like mechanical stuff. And I spent most of my time on the flight deck. It's a wonder I'm here because when those planes push it all the way, it just about blows you off the side. I'm wondering they didn't let me stay there, but I couldn't get over a plane that heavy going from zero to over 200 miles an hour in 2.3 seconds. You say, was that plane that powerful? No, it was powerful. But that aircraft carrier has a catapult. 
How many of y'all know what a slingshot is? Yeah. Well, it's a general idea, but we're talking a slingshot that can throw several tons. It literally took that airplane and threw it off the plane, so to speak. I want to suggest to you that our great and loving God did that for our country. No way we could ever gotten there on our own, little by little. He threw us right up front. And I'm not saying we're deserving. I'm not down on anybody else. I'm just looking at history and saying we should never have the blessings we've had. But we have. And I hope that we'll always keep that in mind. So we look here at verse 13. It's a small one. You are the salt of the earth. And the first thing I need to just deal with is that ye and are or you and are is the contraction, I guess, in English is didn't make any difference. In other words, I, I don't understand the English sometimes. You got the word you and you got the word are. So it means you are. Okay. Somebody's got to make one that's got Y-O-U apostrophe R E. It means the same thing. Making it hard on those of us that are not good grammarians. That's not the way it is in Greek, though. When you use a contraction in Greek, I'm picking on somebody around here. <laughs> Remember Jeremy, I think you could probably get him or something like that. You know, in America, you say you are, or you can put you, possibly are. It means the same. But when you use a contraction in Greek, it means you. Not the person on your left, not the person on your right, not the person behind you, not the person in front of you. I mean you. You see that verse? You want to take it for what she means? It means you. It's, you don't worry about who's what they're doing in front and in back and on each side. God is talk, God talks to us individually. And he does that in his word here. In other words, you can say, look what all of our church is doing. That's great what our church is doing, but what are we? Are you? When we stand before the Lord, I don't know that's going to be a church at a time. I think it's going to be one person at a time. I'm not trying to be hard. God's good. So you're the salt of the earth. And there comes that conjunction. But if... The salt has lost his savor. You say, what does that mean? If the salt has lost its saltiness, that's what it means. You're the salt of the earth. I'm the salt. We're all, if we're children of God, we're the salt of the earth. But what if the salt loses its savor? It evidently can because it's right there. If it does, if salt loses its saltiness, how are things going to be salted? And we're talking about people here. I don't like to read the next part of it. It's hard, but it's the truth. If salt loses its saltiness, it is thenceforth good for nothing. It's true. Salt is to be salty. And if it loses that, it has no purpose for existing. And God has chosen to use salt to define me and and you in some ways. This worth good for nothing but to be 
cast out, trodden underfoot. And by the way, I think probably up in this part of the country you do it. I've been looking at some of your cars. Somebody's been throwing salt out there. And uh, that's not what we want the salt to be used for. (laughs) We want to reach people. You know, Morgan said, J. Kimball Morgan, I love to read after him. He said, talking about preachers in the 21st century preach in front of people and preachers in the first century preached to people. Do you grasp on that? If you don't, you can if you get to the right place. You can just be all over the place and stomp and spit and yell and cry and everything and then say, I'm talking to you. That's what God's saying in his word. Are you, with your being, receiving the truth of the word of God? Because he knows (laughs) that you have a Bible and that you get it. Not trying to be hard again. Just want you to see what the Bible is trying to tell us and what is a great benefit to each of us. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, so how can it be salted? Now, I don't want to scare you, but I looked in the encyclopedia. There's 14,000 uses for salt, so we need to get started. (laughs) Don't run. We're not going to pick up, but just a few. Well, first of all, salt enhances, does it not? Now, something else you may not think of. Salt is primarily conspicuous in its absence. How many times do you go to get the place to eat and get a bite and you say, man, that is too salty. Mm -hmm. Now, I've had a few, but I mean very few. Soon as I taste it, I'm grabbing a salt checker. Some of y'all with me? I mean, I am putting... (laughs) that salt on there. So salt enhances. It really does, doesn't it? Whatever it is, it makes it taste better, except for some things you can't help. I've covered broccoli up with salt and you can't get anything probably worth. I've got friends here, I can tell. But if it's a hamburger, if it's a steak, if it's cantaloupe, if it's watermelon, or whatever it is, I, again, maybe as far as I'm a Texas, it's going to get some salt, and it brings a flavor out. And the idea is here that any time a Christian is around, things are to be better. Because we're the salt of the earth. We're not supposed to just be riding it free or something like that. We're trying to be a help. Try to be a blessing. Try to be a friend, as is already and said, it enhances. You think about all the people that live around you. How many families are having a hard time getting along? Kids are doing okay? Or how many of them could really use a friend because they haven't figured it out yet and you have and you could help? In other words, if we're living the life that God wants us to live, It's not that we won't ever make any mistakes. As long as we breathe, we'll make mistakes. But if we're trying to live the life that God wants us to live, we will be a benefit to other people. Because we're salt and we're supposed to make things better and to enhance it. I remember a guy in our church named Owen Walker. His wife had been coming to church he was a likable guy, but man, he was a heavy, heavy drinker and smoker and 
and all that. But he's a nice guy. Uh, but the years went by, and finally he called me. And got an old deep voice, I think, probably because of all the stuff he drank and smoked. And he said, "Preacher," he said, "I, I got to get away from this stuff, and I got a house full of liquor. Would you come over here and pour it down the drain? I just can't do it." And you know, we did. And he was saved the next week. He didn't live but just a few more years. I'll still remember, Pastor. But you can still befriend him without buying into the product. He knew someone cared for him. And there wasn't anything they were going to get out of it except him. And here I am. That's been probably 40 years. And I'm not going to forget Owen Walker. You ever run into an Owen Walker, maybe, that needs your help? Or someone with a different name that maybe does? Salt enhances, and I'd like to have the ability to do that. Another thing is that salt does is salt heals. You may not think about it, but it does. And the fact is, if you pass out here and they carry you out, you might have a saline treatment of some kind before you get any place. What I remember is, as being a Texas boy, and uh, back in World War II and after that and everything, crawling through barbed wire fences and you didn't steal any plums, did you? Well, why'd you have to ask something like that? <laughs> but anyway, just doing what boys did when you didn't have a lot of things, toys like you have today. And, and of course, I did have, and my dad was from Florida and we went to Florida for the first time. I'd never seen the ocean before. And uh, he pulled right up on the beach. I mean, I'm making this quick and so forth. And there was no end to that water. And I liked water, and I couldn't wait. I didn't even wait till the car stopped rolling. I jumped out of the, you know, out of the car and jumped and headed towards that ocean. And I've been in all those barbed wire fences, but pardon my grammar, but sometimes it works better. I ain't never been in salt water before, especially with scratches all over me. And I hit that water, I, I mean, into it just as fast as I could go. And I did a 180 degree, put one foot in front of the other as fast as I could to get out. And my, David, what are you doing out here? He says, Mama, something is eating me up out there. And she said, I don't know what this word means. If y'all have heard it, you say, oh, shaw boy, it won't hurt you. Get back out in that water. So, you know what? Pastor, the next day, you couldn't see a scratch on me. Salt enhances, salt heals. Hey, one of the greatest things you'll do is be a blessing and a help to somebody else. Because down through the years, they'll say something. They might even write you a note and say, thank you. I really needed that in my life and needed that help. Not only that, salt preserves. The Bible says, prove all things and hold fast that which is good. You know, I didn't always have refrigerators. When I was a kid, we had an icebox. Anybody had an Ice box. I knew I was the oldest person here. <laughs> I know one thing, when you got an ice box and they, about every two days they bring a big chunk by there, you don't get in there and try to chip any off or any iced tea unless you have your hand cut off or something like that. <laughs> but we did preserve. People still in the old days, and primarily was called biltong, you'll still see that word every now and then. Today we primarily use the word jerky. And this stuff will last forever if it is preserved right. That's one of the third things that it does. I'm just going to mention the fourth one and that'd be it. Salt purifies. 
I didn't know my wife's brother was a highway patrolman down in Arkansas and we'd go down and visit them. He had a great in-ground swimming pool. He said, I got to train the filter in it. Samuel and Emily have been there. And he said, yeah, 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 and I'll help you out, you know. And then he's getting all this salt and this thing with it. And I thought, where's the filter? He said, salt is. It's a salt filter. I didn't know that. That keeps that water clean and safe for you to swim in. Historian and President Woodrow Wilson said that the social rot that brought about the French Revolution, if you're familiar with that, probably should be, that ripped that country totally apart had made its way across the English Channel. And he said the only thing that saved England from the same fate was that in 1703 a man was born, a man, not ten, a man was born by the name of John Wesley. The difference in two nations and how they turned out. One grain, if I can say it, of salty salt helped England avoid that. So how does salt lose its savor? You say, I've never had any salt that lost its savor. Probably not. Unless, how many of y'all lived when this was written? Nobody's lived when this was written. They didn't have any little glass bottles. It was put in bags. And it was placed inside little buildings with an earthen floor. And the brine would be sucked out of the salt from the moisture that came up from that. The only time that salt loses its saltiness is when it's corrupted. And that scares me. It's hard to drive down the road in your car and look at billboards without being corrupted. Hard to go to a mall and walk down through there. Hard to watch maybe something on TV. And it doesn't give preachers any break. I'm thinking now, is it possible that we could be doing so much more without even hardly knowing it, having an influence in other people's life because we could be pure salt and have those qualities. You say, well, what if we are corrupted? You say, how often do you get corrupted? Well, I think sometimes it could be every day that that could could maybe happen. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, pure white salt again, starting from ground zero at that point. All of us should want to, and America desperately needs it so very much. Let's all stand to our feet this morning.